You're listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, forward-looking conversations for those who believe that donor growth is possible. Every week, we'll explore a thought-provoking topic to help build deeper relationships with more of your donors. We are your hosts, Luis Diaz and Mike Dirksen. Now let's get into it. Luis, do donors really hate overhead? If a tree falls in an empty forest and nobody hears it, did it actually fall? (laughs) If someone opens up your letter in their living room and they, they think about overhead, will we ever know? I think today's conversation really is risky. We might get in over our head. Ha, ha, ha. Pun. But you know what I'd like to do? I don't know if we'll be brave enough, but we'd really like to invite others into this conversation. If I'm brave enough, I may go to the Facebook group of an influential field in our field and share these thoughts today. And maybe we'll have another episode about that part of the conversation. What do you think? Sure. So let's frame it this way. We're talking about the overhead conversation and the overhead conversation. You've capitalized it here because if you work in a nonprofit sector, you know what the overhead conversation is. But but let's just let's just recap it. The overhead conversation is all charities have overhead, and some people think we've done a disservice by talking about how little overhead our charity has and maybe bragging about how effective we are, because some people think maybe we have trained donors to think in the wrong way about charity. Other people say, no, overhead is real. In fact, overhead can mean that you're more effective as a charity. And by not talking about overhead or by talking about it in a way that equates less overhead with more effectiveness, we're doing a disservice to our charity, but also the entire sector. And if only we educated donors a little bit more, surely things would get better. Am I missing anything? Yeah, I'm not sure donors know what overhead is. Like, I know what they hate. I know they hate waste, or I think I know, right? Right. They hate waste. They hate making a gift and thinking that that gift went to pay for the first-class plane ticket for the CEO. But as a concept, it's a financial concept. You know, I just, mm, I think that sometimes we may get, get too much into our heads. Like in the overhead conversation, we know very well what overhead is. It's mm-hmm. just that I'm not sure the whole world knows. You know, I think that's that's a part of it. Right. But essentially, the definition is is what you said. I think financially. So, so are you saying donors don't necessarily know the word overhead, or are you saying donors don't even don't even seem to concern themselves that much about the concept of overhead? Well, I think it's a framing issue. If we say overhead, then obviously it has the word over in it. Well, it also has the word ahead. <laughs> this is a linguistic expert. Yeah. I mean, I'm totally I'm getting in very deep, deep waters. Yeah, I don't know if I can swim out of this one. But it, if you say that, it sounds bad. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas, whereas, you know, impact expenses, you know, right? right. Uh, I, I think people people get. I, I mean, you know, th- where okay. this is coming from, I've heard. Some conversations related to overhead saying, well, people are trying to do accounting tricks to get around the, you know, around the concept to hide it. And what I keep thinking is, well, the the concept of self of overhead is an accounting concept and, you know, might be interpreted different ways. Right. Now, let me see how I can frame this. 
No, so, so, so I don't end up in the same deep waters yes. that, that you just tried to swim out of. <laughs> same gig, can't breathe. Oh. Some charities do engage in creative accounting to meet a certain, because they think, hey, you know, we're not going to get the guide star, whatever, five star charity navigator, whatever thing, if we've got 30% admin fundraising overhead. So they take some fundraising activities and, and they say, well, these are actually education activities. And part of our mission is to educate the public on the issues that our nonprofit is solving. And so this event is actually not a fundraising event. It's an education event. And, and so they engage in some, you know, they just label things differently or they brand things differently so they can so they can sort of get to the ratio that they need to get to. But you're saying that in and of itself maybe isn't even necessary? I mean, we have the unfortunate side effect of charity rating sites that came up. I think to address the underlying issues that mm -hmm. people don't like to see waste or what they think is waste happen. And they framed the financials in a, in a certain light, right? You know, I studied business administration and there's really a lot of gray area here. So when you're saying they're labeling things differently, you know, I wouldn't necessarily always start from a holier than thou perspective. Maybe, yes, it is education. And if you're somehow being penalized for not calling it education, we'll call it education. Yeah. I mean, as long as, you know, as long as the intent is good and you're actually maximizing the amount of mission you can do, I don't always see it as black and white as people portray it. Okay. As in, okay, well, if we don't really call this a fundraising expense, you know, it's a horrible lie and, you know, we're, we're amoral and unethical. Well, I mean, how much of fundraising is it? Is education really? We talk here on this podcast a whole lot about engagement leading to fundraising, not the other way around. At what point does engagement stop being fundraising if it's leading to it? You know, I mean, it just gets so right, so murky. Okay, you said a few times now. We know what donors like and don't like, and that's not just that's not your just your personal opinion. So we are there are studies out there who have who have kind of tested this. So talk a little bit about. Probably the one study that gets cited the most, yes. um, which was a test to see how donors feel about overhead. Yes, absolutely. So as much as possible, we're trying to base the conversation today on evidence and research that's out there. Some of it may also be just lived experience, but there is some pretty compelling. There's a scientist called Uri, I may mispronounce his name, right? Uri Gnizi. And he's a behavioral scientist. And he did a number of tests, some of them by mail, others with university students, where he compared different treatments, what they call treatments. One of them was a match. And we're very familiar, mm -hmm. I think, with match incentives, right? Every dollar you give will be matched with a dollar from a donor. He compared that with a seed money incentive which is we've already received $10,000, you know, X thousand dollars toward the goal. So this is kind of why you start capital campaigns at 60 or 70% already there, right? Yeah. There's another behavioral effect going on there. And the, the last approach he tried was we have, we've had an anonymous donor offer to cover all administrative costs related to this campaign. So your gifts will go 100% to whatever the impact was, educational program. And the difference wasn't small. 
I mean, it was a large difference yeah. between the overhead approach and the other two, both in dollars and donors. Mm-hmm. So part of the conversation today is, well, I think we should look at this and talk about this yeah. from a more objective perspective and from more maybe impact-focused perspective, right? Rather than kind of moralizing and, and trying to necessarily, what's the saying, you know, do things that may shoot ourselves in the leg. I don't know. It's complex. I mean, right. it, there's yeah. no doubt about that. But I just want to bring this out. I feel we don't talk enough about this. There's a strong effect. And so this yeah. is very clearly what people seem to want. Yeah. So that study, you can just Google avoiding overhead aversion in charity, and you can you can find that study. It's very, very fascinating. One of the fascinating things that I took from that study is donors don't even necessarily care that a charity is ineffective. Mm-hmm. They like they actually don't care if other people's money goes to overhead. They didn't even seem to care. There's another study that compared the the different percentages of overhead, and most people like didn't really care that a charity had like thirty percent overhead or forty, as long as their money wasn't covering the overhead. Yeah, they just didn't want their money to go to overhead. There's an interesting series of research paper that Dr. James Russell, who we have mentioned frequently in this podcast shares that actually seems to, well in these studies it shows I don't know if this is 100% what happens in the real world but these studies show that people will give less if they see that a charity is more efficient because they think oh well you know my yeah. buck is going farther they don't need as much so it's a very nuanced conversation yeah. and you know yes so people i think it's more about the story that we get to tell ourselves about our gift right than necessarily the insider's perspective that yeah. nonprofit people have that we have when we think about overhead. Yeah, so good good differentiation. So let's get into the story that we tell ourselves about our gift. Typically, typically, generally speaking, how have nonprofits approached the overhead narrative of donors? Well, a very popular approach that I've honestly discovered recently has been the journey of a dollar. I first heard about it from UNICEF campaign. Yeah, it's a UNICEF thing, I think, originally. Oh, really? And a bunch of charities are doing it now. Okay. Yeah. Well, I heard from one of their past digital fundraising directors or some some type of individual giving executive, Tobes Kelly, that it was their most successful campaign. Yeah. Full stop. So, and I invite everybody to look for Tobes on the internet or on LinkedIn and follow his his newsletter. It's yeah. fascinating. It's called it's called some personal news. So it's not obviously about fundraising in the title. Yeah. But if you look up Tobes Kelly, some personal news. You'll you'll get a lot of insights. And every week he totally makes me click on it because I'm like, oh my goodness, what happened to Tobes? And I forget that was the title of his newsletter. Right, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's, it's genius. Yes. <laughs> every time you get an email from Tobes, he's like, some personal news. I'm like, oh, what's up with Tobes? Did he where is he at now? What's did he change jobs? Is it like yeah? Like, it's so. it's a really good one. So anyhow, Tobes shared that with me for the first time. Mike, mm-hmm. you may have known about that. And then we've recently seen a video by Charity Water. Yeah, um, Journey of a Donation. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that's yeah. that's similar concept. Yeah. So the fact that lots that these campaigns are very successful, that video from Charity Water has over 2 million views. Yeah. I mean, think of the last video your nonprofit put on YouTube. I mean, <laughs> you know. do you want to do you want to get into the Charity Water video? Yeah, sure. I mean, tell, tell, why don't you tell us about it? So it's the first 5 seconds of the video is very attention grabbing. 
Okay. It, it says, it says when you think of giving to charity, you may think that, you, you know, you don't want your money going to this guy. And it shows like a big mansion. Ah, um, at least they address the problem. Yeah. More this guy. And he's like in a first, first class, you know, private mm-hmm. plane or whatever. That's the long version of it. I think so. They're very clearly addressing the problem. Yeah. See, that's and then goes into their story. Yeah, yeah. And and I actually, I, I'll, I, I didn't like that approach. That's a personal point of view, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, one there is one negotiation technique, which is labeling things, and yeah. this is very obviously. Again, I, I'm I'm using all these qualifiers. You know, this seems to be obviously something that people are worried about. So. Why not talk more about it? Yeah, I'll tell you that I think in that sense, and again, personal point of view, I'm sure it's super effective. So for donor acquisition, it might be very effective. Mm. What we have to be careful about, or what I'm conscious of, is that it somehow inadvertently positions charities as, here's here's what charities usually do. Your CEO has a big mansion and he flies private. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's how this model is different. And I think we just have to be careful about that. Well, kind because, of, a, yeah. I because see. generally speaking, you talk about this a lot, Lewis. Mm. The opposite of somebody not giving to your nonprofit is not them giving to another nonprofit that does a better job of explaining their story. The opposite of somebody giving to your nonprofit is somebody not giving at all. Mm-hmm. So it's about, it, it, it's a rising tide lifts all shows. It, it, it's about normalizing giving behavior and giving to charities in general. That yeah. is over the long haul probably the most effective. And it's kind of a tragedy of the commons situation where if everybody started doing videos like these, we'd you know we'd convince people that that's what nonprofits do, and that would be horrible for the yeah. ecosystem. So it's kind of individually smart but collectively dumb behavior. Yeah, yeah, totally. So anyhow, that's one of the approaches that charities have have taken. And there's obviously interest or there seems to be audience interest by the campaigns that have talked about this and have seen. We also see, at least anecdotally, I see a lot of conversations. And sometimes I, you know, I read Hacker News, which is a forum for like tech people. And every time there's talk about nonprofit, this thing, this pops up. It's like right, the right. Hydra, the many-headed monster. Yeah, waste and it's so. I think it. I think it's safe to say it's a common conception. It's common thought that people have. You know, where I think we could benefit from a more balanced conversation is in the internal conversation, right? That happens with the team. So you know, what will a nonprofit? typically decide to do about this one approach is just to ignore it lots of nonprofits do it or we can't mm-hmm. really do anything about that yeah another approach is the we need to educate donors about and i think you have a a pretty good point of view about that like education how we should deal with education that's news to me <laughs> thanks for thanks for teeing that one up i don't know where where, where to take that well okay i'll give my point of view. okay that's <laughs> good <laughs> which is education yeah. is really hard to do and i can vouch for that oh, yeah. because of everything I, I i go through with my kids even if you're spending eight hours a day with somebody right and you're constantly reminding them about something education may yeah. not succeed when I, we're I, talking I, about mass fundraising I, I thought you were teeing me up to like tell us how do you educate donors in mass and i was like i'm the worst person to have. i don't well, think i don't think you can so there you go yeah you can you know it's 
it's it's a, it's easier to change hearts than it is to change minds, right? So okay, it's it's very hard to educate somebody into into understanding some but something that is largely sometimes you know how the sausage gets made or it's sometimes insider baseball. It's it's all these things that we care about internally a lot. It might not be as nuanced to somebody. And they may already have their mind made up and maybe all they need to hear is 20% is overhead and 80% is impact. And I think there's a lot better ways of framing that. We can talk about some of those. But generally speaking, it's very hard. If you think we're going to solve this by educating donors, that's a very tough road. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about donors, we talk about like mass map market sort of fundraising. I think you should absolutely have that discussion with major donors. And if you're not, you're missing out on a huge opportunity to actually get investment in your fundraising that could be unrestricted and that could be used for fundraising. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe we mentioned the famous or infamous charity water approach, which is along those lines. So they're not, they don't really even though the video kind of implies it, right? But they actually have major donors supporting their overhead investments. Yeah. And then they have a separate organization or program or unit. Separate bank account yeah. and, and a separate program called the well, I think. Um, the spring, right? The spring is monthly giving. The well is admin fundraising giving. Okay. And so the well is mostly major gifts driven yeah. versus the spring is mostly monthly giving. Monthly yeah. And I actually think I, I I don't critique that model at all. I think it's a smart model. I know a lot of people will disagree with me. On, and I know that a lot of people think the 100% model is damaging to charity as a whole. I don't agree with that necessarily. I think the way you talk about things can either be beneficial or harmful. So mm-hmm. if you position a 100% model, and lots of organizations have adopted a 100% model, um, if you position it in a certain way saying that, hey, all charity is bad, we're good because it's 100%, you know, that might be a little bit problematic. But if you position it as, hey, I understand that that you're paying 200 bucks at the grocery store because everything is so expensive and that you really want your giving to be as effective as possible. And we've got corporations and institutions and major donors and businesses who understand the value of admin and fundraising, and they've agreed to to help with some of that. I think that's a great way of framing it. And I also think it's a good opportunity when you're talking to major donors who are a little bit more business-minded sometimes not always, to say, hey, your $100,000 gift, it could feed 100,000 people. Or we could invest it in fundraising. And we're going to get a three to one, four to one, five to one, sometimes 10 to one return. And that will multiply your $100,000 gift 10x over, 5x over, and we can feed 5x as many people or 10x as many people. Would, would you have the vision to actually invest in this thing and help us help us raise even more money. And I found in my conversations with major donors that some of them are very open to that approach. Yeah. And some people call this window dressing as, you know, financial engineering as if it is a form of cheating. There's a lot of financial engineering that happens in the world that adds value. So where you take something and you break it up into pieces and you make the sum of each piece more valuable than the whole thing. You know, we're getting a little bit into into finance, right? But this kind of happened, an example with banking, for instance, right? Where you have individual deposits, people that put in deposits in a bank. 
And that's, you know, more or less perfectly safe money. The bank then turns around and, you know, does accounting tricks and gives that money out for local businesses to open. And that's a more risky investment. So what I mean to say by all of this is that sometimes these processes create value for society as a whole. And if you're going to be able to do something like what Mike says, or you're at least willing to consider it, you know, not offhand kind of demonize the idea, you might create bigger nonprofits, feed more people, you know, save more people than you could otherwise. So, yeah, it's, you know, I know there's going to be lots of people who disagree. I've also seen it framed in in mass, mass giving, individual Mm -hmm. giving in, in now again. There's different schools of thought. One school of thought says you should never in an appeal even remind a donor that there's overhead. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have an explainer of how the money is used. Mm-hmm. And then other people who are who feel very strongly about the fact, like, no, you should have that reminder in there. Mm-hmm. Now, for people, for orgs who have the reminder in there, I have seen it framed in a very helpful way, which is look, 80% of this or 70% of this goes to the actual programming here and here and here. And then about 10% of it goes to make sure that the money is administered well. It's like admin, there's controls in place, making sure that that you know it's effective. And then another 10% of it gets reinvested and actually turns your dollar into an additional $3 because we invested in fundraising and we invite more people to join this cause and 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 you know, we build something that will be around not just today, but also tomorrow. I've seen it reframed in those terms, which is, again, you could say, oh, you're just, it's like, and it's like mental gymnastics. Yeah. I've heard uh, that. And, and maybe it is, we all engage in mental gymnastics. We all tell ourselves a story about how we spent our money. Even if you buy something at Costco that you didn't think that you would buy going in, but you bought it going out. <laughs> You convince yourself that you, that you, you need convince it. yourself why that <laughs> yeah. is also mental gymnastics. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. You know, so it's a balance of priorities, right? So if mm-hmm. you're doing that again, how much education do you want to get into that campaign? In my role now as an advisor to shops, I do feel like it's my duty to bring it up and say, look, there's compelling science, it seems to me, to consider maybe a different way than what the internal narrative has been until now. Okay, um, let's let's get into that. So yeah. I'm the client, you're the advisor, advise me. Okay, let me pull up a report I just did. I essentially said just that. I said, look, there is, we're, we're designing a campaign mm-hmm. and we're talking about messaging. And this is an organization that has a large number of what you might call arms length supporters. It's a it's a news organization. Okay. Okay. And I brought up the topic to them that there is good evidence to say that to make an informed guess that a lot of the people who donate and don't donate are going to be thinking about overhead. And let's have a talk about how we frame it. What that and then it, it gets like it gets super real at that point because there's some, there's a piece that's internal. Well, can we actually say that 100% of the admin costs are covered? Right. Sometimes you can. So in some higher education settings, you can actually say that, like 
the development office is paid for by, you know, one bucket of money somewhere that may come eventually from tuitions. You know, sometimes you can't because it's all just one big pocket of money and people don't feel okay. You know, it might very well be that, you know, money is fungible. So it's coming from one big pot. They just don't feel comfortable saying it. Yeah. And then we go into the framing conversation that you were alluding to earlier, Mike, which is, can we say that 100 of your gift goes into making this impact possible? Can you explain it a little bit more? Yeah. Like you said, but at the very least, I think addressing the topic is a need and maybe in context where there's like more of an arm's length, where people don't know you as well. Yeah. And maybe you tear that where you talk and to whom you talk about that to people who are newer to the organization or who you're trying to acquire versus maybe bringing this up with, to your loyal donors right? who are already engaged. Presumably they know you. Presumably they're already okay with this because they've been giving to you already. You know, kind of why, why bring it up? So we do bring it up. And in those contexts, for donors who are newer to you, for donors who aren't necessarily major donors, for, for you know, I grew up in church, so I always heard about the widow's might, you know, the widow who gives her last her last penny. For those donors, it matters knowing that a majority of their money goes toward the thing that they intended to go toward. And so maybe the 100% model isn't such a bad idea in in. in in certain situations. In certain situations. And there's there are ways also to be a little bit more creative mm-hmm. than people think. If you have a total campaign budget and you actually do have a donor who's giving you the seed money, mm-hmm. you know, can you internally just say, okay, that already covered the fundraising expense. You know, from now on, it's it's all going to mission. So maybe you don't tell those initial that or those few initial donors that everything is going, you know, everything is going to to whatever the impact is, but you do tell the tail end, the vast majority of donors. So maybe instead of getting a match next time when you talk to a major donor, mm-hmm. you say, and and there's there's some debate about how ethical a matching matching language is. Especially um, if, if you're still gonna get it. If you're gonna get the money anyways. Yeah. Um maybe it could be, hey, would you would you feel comfortable if we frame this instead of a match, we frame it as all fundraising expenses for this campaign, for this mail out, for this project, for whatever, have been taken care of. So that 100% of your money goes toward this thing. Or we frame it as this is seed money. We're already, and that's covered a lot of a lot of the admin stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe you share some of this research. Look, there's yeah. this very compelling study that says that if you choose the first option, we're going to get 2x, 3x, yeah. the amount of dollars and new donors in this campaign right. and leave it up to the donor, you know? Now, have you ever tried a campaign that has a match and all fundraising and overhead is taken care of? That's and there's already seed money for... for You just invented the unicorn campaign. The, the trifecta. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy Trinity. Oh, my goodness. Mike, well, I think this is a good moment to end this podcast episode. We've discovered what's the holy grail, the unicorn the whale of fundraising today. We hope that this gave you some ideas for an informed conversation that you can have internally. And as always, reach out to us if you have any questions. And we can tell you that 100% of the admin costs for the Donor Growth Podcast are covered. This thing is completely free for you to listen to.
<laughs> and we want to thank Lehigh University for hosting us today. It's been a wonderful experience to spend time with the advancement team. Thank you so much. But wait, it's not really free. We <laughs> so we do this thing for free. We put in we put in hours of work. Mm. I, I I drove all the way to Pennsylvania. I spent three days on the road for us to have this conversation in person. Yeah. But in exchange, we ask that you sign the fundraisers agreement. So what exactly? Okay, I'm right. trembling now. What right. exactly is in the fundraisers agreement? Okay, here's a fundraisers agreement. Okay, so there's this podcast called My First Million, and they have the gentlemen's agreements. Oh, really? Okay, the, the gentlemen's agreement and the ladies' understanding. Those are the two things that they have. Okay, which is that you got to subscribe to the to their YouTube and and follow the podcast. So the fundraisers agreement is our version of that. The fundraisers agreement is we do this thing for free, and in exchange we ask. That you follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Great. Number one. And that you let us know what you think about it on LinkedIn. Number two. That's the fundraiser's agreement. I have a third That's one. It. Can I add one? We're totally, we're yeah. totally improvising here. That you endeavor to make the best possible decisions for your nonprofit and you know, ultimately for your career, maybe incorporating some of what you learned with us. And we'll love to hear about that. Sounds good. You 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 wrapped that up nicely. I was purely in transactional mode, and you you brought it back to a wholesome. Yeah, that uh, part of my brain is all firing up. We've we've all heard about the research here, and so have you. I'm going to cut this off today, Mike. Please don't interrupt. We'll see everybody next time. Thank. Thank you for listening to the Donor Growth Podcast, brought to you by the Donor Participation Project and BuildGood.com. If you found today's episode helpful, please help us by sharing it with a friend, posting about it on LinkedIn, or giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, remember that donor growth is possible.